Well, good morning, church. Um, I just want to say how much I love this church and how much I love uh, each and every one of you. Uh, every time I sing that song, The Blessing, especially now that I have a baby, it like breaks me, you know? And this is our prayer, right? This is our prayer that uh, our, faith, our faith would extend to, to those around us, that our faith would extend to, to our children. Um, and, I, and I just appreciate this church family so much. And I've seen that done in so many different ways. And I just want to say um, to the grandparents uh, of those who have been dedicated this morning, thank you. Thank you for uh, your work in these, in these children's lives. Um, yeah, let's clap for grandparents. We gentle clap for babies. We, we big clap for grandparents, right? And, uh, and parents, thank you so much for the ways that you are striving to, uh, to reach your children with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because at the end of the day, that is what matters. Amen? That is what matters. Uh, and so I appreciate you guys so much. Um, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween to all of you. Anybody trick-or-treat last night? I don't even know when trick-or-treating. Is it mostly tonight? Is everybody trick-or-treating tonight? Yes? Yes. I saw some of your costumes. Daniel had some eyeliner on last night, and it was awesome. I'm sorry. <laughs> and it kind of hasn't come off yet? Okay. <laughs> hey, happy Halloween. I hope you enjoyed some trick-or-treating either last night or, or tonight. Um, but I think it is kind of the responsibility of the church to remind us of the importance of this day in, in church history. Halloween is one name that this goes by. October 31st is when we remember uh, Reformation Day. Remember Martin Luther and uh, the brave acts that he did on behalf of true gospel. And uh, maybe a little bit of, of church history. Back in October 31st of 1517, Martin Luther, who was uh, a, a, a professor at, at a university in, in Wittenberg, he was a Catholic priest, but he was teaching uh, he was a teaching professor, and uh, famously, he was teaching through all of these different books uh, of the Bible, but he reached Romans, and he was teaching through Romans, probably longer even than we went through Romans, but he was in Romans 1.17, and he got to this verse, and it said, the justified will live by faith. And this rubbed Martin Luther uh, the wrong way, because he realized that the Catholic Church at that time, this was not what was happening. That the justified were not living by faith, and, and one of the things that he so struggled with was the selling of indulgences. The selling of indulgences. The Pope at that time, Pope Leo uh, X, was actually coming into some money problems. And uh, he and a German priest uh, came up with this idea to sell indulgences. Indulgences were those um, things that priests would sell in order to get this kind of uh, get out of so-called purgatory free card. You would give money and your sins would be forgiven or you would give money and your family's sins would be forgiven. And they would sell these. And uh, as Martin Luther studied the word, he, he realized just how uh, heinous this was. And he believed that sins uh, were not forgiven because money changed hands. He believed that sins were forgiven because grace came to somebody's heart through the person of Jesus Christ. And this revelation uh, from God's word caused him to nail 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Castle Church. And this is what we remember today. This is what we remember on Reformation Day. We celebrate Martin Luther and uh, his commitment to the gospel. And like I said, one of the beliefs that Luther so struggled with was that repentance and forgiveness was being sold. And in our series uh, we've been through these last couple of weeks, Habits of Grace, one of the habits of grace we'll be looking at this morning is the habit of confession 
and repentance. What does biblical, what does gospel-centered confession and repentance actually look like, and how do we practice that in our daily lives? And I just think it's amazing that, that all these years later, all these years later, over 500 years later, we are still preaching the same gospel truth that Martin Luther stood up so courageously for, and, and I love that, and I love that about Bethel. Um, but this morning, we're going to look at the role that the Holy Spirit plays in confession and repentance, and we're going to see, uh, uh, see that the Spirit leads us in repentance by confronting us with truth, all right? This is what the Spirit does, and this is how we are led in repentance and confession. The Spirit leads us in repentance by confronting us with truth. Now, I think that the um, Holy Spirit can be kind of this mysterious member of the Trinity. We don't talk about him often. We don't talk about the Spirit often. We're not 100% sure what he does or, or where he comes from or where he's going. And so I hope this morning we can clear up some confusion about the Spirit And we can gain some understanding about the role that he plays in our conviction and confession of sins. And so if you have your Bibles with me, I'd I'd love for you to turn to John 15 this morning. We're going to be in uh, three different passages this morning, two passages in John, one passage in uh, in Galatians. But we're going to start John 15, uh, verses 26 and 27. And here in these verses, Jesus is teaching his disciples, right? This is what Jesus did in his ministry. He taught these men. And uh, he was really only a couple days away from his crucifixion at this point in, in the Gospel of John. Uh, and, and he knew that he was going to be leaving these disciples, that he was going to die, he was eventually going to raise, but he was going to ascend to heaven, and he was going to be leaving these disciples. And, and he was trying to encourage them to continue on with the establishment of the kingdom of God, to continue on with the good news that Jesus had to share. And and Jesus does this by telling them that he's going to send a helper. He says, I'm going to send you a helper. And this is what we find in John 15, verses uh, 26 and 27. This is what Jesus says about, uh, about the Spirit. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And so kind of the first thing that we see about the Spirit here is that he is sent by the Son from the Father, right? He proceeds from the Father for the purpose of shining a light on what is true. He's, he's defined here as the spirit of truth. And so what the spirit does, he comes from the Father and he shines a light on the things that are true. And he's going to help the disciples bear witness about Jesus. The spirit is going to help the disciples share this truth. And this is one of the things that the spirit does, does for us as well. If we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, you have the spirit in you, working through you, helping you witness, helping you share truth. And and I think when we hear the word witness, we also often think about, um, you know, tracks that get handed out instead of uh, Reese's Pieces at Halloween, or like cold conversations with with strangers. And and I I think that this is, yes, this is part of, of, of witnessing, and this is part of what the Spirit does. He helps us bear witness about Jesus to people who don't know him yet. That through Jesus, we can overcome the penalty and the presence and the uh, power of sin. But one vital thing I want us to understand this morning 
is that the Spirit bears witness about Jesus, not just to those who don't follow Jesus, but to believers as well. The Spirit isn't just working uh, to convict others. He's working to convict our own hearts as well. You have this very same Spirit in you, guiding you, animating you, convicting you, and bearing witness about Jesus to your own heart. The Spirit is shining a light on truth for us as followers of Jesus as well. But why... Why does the Spirit have to do this? Why does the Spirit have to shine a light on truth in my heart if I'm already following Jesus? Why does he have to do this? It's a good question to ask. Why does the Spirit have to continue to share the truth about Jesus to those who have already committed their lives to him? I think the answer deals with belief and unbelief. Belief and unbelief, and you've probably heard it said from this pulpit that right belief leads to right action. If you believe the correct things about God, yourself, and others, then you will be led into right action toward God, yourself, and others. Uh, The fact is is that we do not always act right. Yeah? We don't always act right. And if right belief leads to right action, and we don't always act right, then it stands to reason, then we're probably not believing right. Follower of Jesus, if you have ever not acted right, it's because you aren't believing right. And so the Spirit's work is just as important for those who don't believe as those who do. We're going to dig a little bit deeper into this uh, later, but right now what we can take away from this passage is that the Spirit sent by the Father to shine a light on what's true in everybody's life. He is this great confronter. The Spirit is this great confronter. He takes our inner person and the person of Jesus Christ and he lines them up. He confronts us with the truth and where we don't match up. The Spirit's work is a little bit like those magazines that you get in the dentist's office when you're sitting and waiting and there's a picture on one side and there's a picture on the other side and there's 10 differences. And if you get the magazine that hasn't already been circled, you're like working through before you get called, right? And it takes you way longer than you'd care to admit. You can't find that 10th one, but you just circle something random. This is what the Spirit is doing. He's looking at the page of our life, and he's looking at the page of Jesus' life, and he's comparing them. And he's circling, and he's pointing out the ways that we don't match up. But the Spirit does this in different ways for different people. Different ways for different people. So I want to look at two categories of people. What does the Spirit do to the world, those who don't follow Jesus, And what does the Spirit do to the believer? So let's look just a little bit further on at Jesus' words uh, in John 16. John 16, 8 to 11. And we're going to see what the Spirit does to the world. What's the Spirit's role in the world? John 16, 8 to 11. This is what it says. And when he comes, this is the helper, the Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, this is Jesus speaking. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will no longer see me. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And here we learn what the Spirit does to the world. And the world are those uh, defined in Scripture as those who have not put their, their faith, their trust in Jesus for salvation from sin. So the Spirit will come and convict the world. 
What does the Spirit do for the world? He convicts the world. The Spirit is a convictor. Spirit convicts the world. And I think this is a word that, that often gets used in spiritual circles, right? I felt convicted. Or, or you say something and later you think, man, I, I just feel really convicted about that. But this word is actually not used very often in the New Testament, only a handful of times. And what it means is to uh, expose something, to refute something, or, or to convince someone about something. So you could read verse 8 like this. Uh, and when he comes, he will convince the world. And what will he convict or convince the world about? How does he do this? What is he going to convince and convict the world about, and how does he do this? I want to talk first about how the Spirit convicts, and then I want to talk about what he convicts the world about. So how does the Spirit do this, and then what does he convict the world about? How does the Spirit convict the world? I think we often have this picture of, uh, of the Holy Spirit kind of floating around, right? Maybe up and down aisles right now and, and, and popping in and out of bodies. You know, I'm going to do a little conviction over here and, and he scoots over here and I'm going to convict over here. He's like this ghost that floats around and, and I think that's, you know, kind of how we were raised to think about the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. But the fact of the matter is this is not how the Spirit works. We have to remember how God chooses to work in the world and where the Holy Spirit resides, the Holy Spirit resides in believers. Jesus says that this is, I'm going to send a helper to you, to live in you, to animate through you. The Spirit is living in believers. So when it talks about the Spirit convicting the world, what Jesus is saying is that you and I, follower of Jesus, is the one who's going to go out and convince the world. It's going to go out and convict the world. And now I'm a little afraid of what you just heard. Because I think some of you just heard license to go out and convict your neighbor who lets their dog come into the, your yard and do his business in your yard, and you just got biblical like justification, like, yeah, I'm going to go convict that guy. I'm going to convict that guy this afternoon. That's the Spirit's job in me. That's what I'm going to go do. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate it. Justified, finally. A spiritual calling I can get behind, right? And this is not what is talked about in this passage. This is not what Jesus is calling us to. This is not what the Spirit does through us. Because the Spirit convicts the world of three different things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. You say, yes, Scott, that is what I do. I convict people of their sins. I convict people of their unrighteousness, and I tell them about the judgment that is to come. But let's look at these really briefly. What does the Spirit convict the world about? First, the Spirit convicts of sin. It is singular, right? Singular, not sins, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. What sin are they being convicted of? They're being convicted of the sin of not believing in Jesus, the sin of unbelief. We're called to convince people away from their unbelief, not badger them and berate them about their sins. What about righteousness? The Spirit convicts of righteousness, not unrighteousness. It says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, you will see me no longer. See, Jesus was leaving, and the Spirit's job through us is to show people the righteousness of the Son, not to point out their unrighteousness, point out the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
And then last, the Spirit convicts of judgment. It's not the final judgment that's to come, although that is to come. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus is speaking of his judgment of Satan that was affected through the cross. He's, he's, he's telling people, and he's declaring that, yes, Satan is the prince of his world, but he's a defeated prince through the cross of Jesus Christ, and he's awaiting his final sentencing when Jesus comes again. This is what the Spirit does, and this is what the Spirit does through us. We're called to convince the world, to convict the world concerning the sin of unbelief. Convince them of the righteousness of the Son of Jesus, or the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and then convince them that Satan is a defeated enemy, right? Satan is a defeated enemy through the cross of, of Jesus Christ. What the Spirit is doing here is he's shining a light on the darkness of unbelief. He's shining a light on the unbelief of those who don't follow Jesus. I, I, I like to think about it like this. Apart from Jesus, right, we are, we're dead in our sins, we're sitting in the darkness. We are unable to see the light spiritually. This is the, the condition of the world. This is a condition for all of those who don't have their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They are stuck in a dark cave, blinded by their unbelief. And what the Spirit does for the world is unblock the entrance to this cave to let flooding into it the light of Jesus Christ. He exposes and tries to convince the world using Jesus as a comparison. This is what the Spirit does to those who don't follow Jesus. Now, maybe what you're a little more interested in, what does the Spirit do for the follower of Jesus? What does the Spirit do for the believer in Christ? If the Spirit convicts the world, if the Spirit's work is to convince the world, then in the life of the believer, what we find is that the, Spirit's, uh, the Spirit changes the believer. If he convicts the world, he changes the believer. And we're going to look at a, a pretty well-known passage here, Galatians 5, 16 to 25. Uh, this passage deals with the fruit of the Spirit. And if you've got your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there. Um, it's going to be up on the screen as well if you don't have it. But this passage speaks to the kind of life that is led apart from Jesus. And it speaks to the kind of life that is led once we have come under uh, saving faith of Jesus Christ. Galatians 5, 16 to 25 says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. 
Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Now, in this passage, Paul was writing to uh, believers. He was writing to Christians. He was writing to brothers and sisters in Christ. But he's concerned about them gratifying the desires of the flesh. You see, Paul was concerned about these believers not overcoming sin in their lives. He was concerned about sin in their life that might still be in the dark, that might still be kind of festering underneath. And we know that once you come to Jesus, right, there's no kind of magical, uh, complete perfection that comes over each and every one of us. The picture that we get here is the Spirit shining a light on the cave of our own heart, believer. And as we continue to follow Jesus, we are continually confronted with our own sin and how we should act. I think it's like the Spirit is carrying this lantern deeper and deeper and deeper into the cave of our heart and he's exposing places that maybe have never seen the light of Christ before. Right? These places in our hearts that have never been put up in comparison to Jesus Christ and we're called to walk alongside the Spirit as we walk through this cave of our own heart. But the problem is there's an internal struggle. There's this internal struggle that causes issues. It says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Sometimes, I think perhaps often, we, we don't walk by the Spirit. We don't walk with the Spirit. We don't walk hand in hand with Him as He holds this lantern up to the dark places of our hearts. Instead, what we want to do is run into this darkness. We want to run into this darkness. We want to hide and try to turn the Spirit aside and gratify the desires of the flesh. It says you don't need to see or or shine that light there, Spirit. Don't worry about that dark place in my heart. I've got it covered, right? It's really not that dark. It's just, a little, it's just a little dim. It's fine. I can totally see it. Why do we do this? Why do we want to be lost in, in the dark cave of our own sin instead of shining a light on it? I think because it's easier in the short term to celebrate and to deny or to be oblivious to our sins. So much more enjoyable to celebrate my sin in the short term. When the Spirit holds up that lantern, we say, you know, wow, look at that. I love that part of the cave. That's like my favorite part of my personality. It's like who I am deep down, right? We celebrate it. Or maybe we deny our sin, right? It's so much easier to deny my sin, to call it by a different name. We say, you know, Spirit, that's, that's not sin. It's just, it's just self-care. It's just self-care. It's just who I am. Or maybe we're oblivious to our sin. We've actively turned a blind eye, haven't really looked into this aspect of my character because ignorance is bliss. We shut our eyes tight when the Spirit illuminates a part of the cave we don't want to think about. And what we're really saying when we celebrate or deny or are oblivious to sin is that we'd rather sit in the dank and the must and the dark, rather than deal with the uncomfortable light of truth shining into our lives. 
right? We want to remain in control or we don't want to have this area of our life changed. But the truth is, is that darkness, that sin, that gratifying of the flesh in our own hearts is a dead part of who we are. It is a dead part of our lives Back at Galatians 5, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. See, after coming to faith in Christ, the flesh is a dead part of us. And when we gratify the desires of the flesh, when we do not let the spirit of truth into these areas of our life, what we're doing is we're playing with dead things. We're trying to cultivate life and happiness from dead things, content with the fungus and the mold and the decay that grows in the darkness. But God calls us to something so much better. And what does he call us to? He calls us to walk with the Holy Spirit. And what does walking with the Holy Spirit look like? We have uh, a list of fruit here, and maybe you read this list of fruit in a sing-song voice that you learned in Sunday school. But the fact is, is that your life is supposed to be characterized by these fruit, right? Love, joy, peace, so on. And one little thing to note here, the word fruit here in, in the original language is singular. It's fruit. If we're walking by the Spirit, then all of these areas of character are areas that we are supposed to be growing in. We, we can't just say, you know, like, oh, I, I'm going to pick the fruit of joy, but I'm going to leave the fruit of patience way over there, right? I don't want that one. I will be joyful. I don't want to be patient. This isn't what we find in the fruit of the Spirit. It is fruit, singular. We are growing into all of these things, not just some of them. Christ, through the Holy Spirit, is working to illuminate every part of the cave of our heart, not just some of it. And this is what our Habits of Grace series has desired to produce in all of us, this, this fruit of the Spirit. And I'd like to spend the remaining time this morning that we have looking at the fruit in our life and shining a light on the actions of our lives and comparing it to the truth with the help of the Holy Spirit. This habit of grace is, is called confession and repentance, and it's driven by the Holy Spirit. He's the one that is carrying the light of Christ into the dark places of our hearts. And he's the one who illuminates the scriptures and preaches the person of Jesus Christ to our own hearts. Preaches it to those places of our hearts that are still governed by wrong belief. Remember at the beginning we talked about how right belief leads to right action. And the fact that we all have wrong action in our life, so we must all have areas of wrong belief. We must all have areas of unbelief. And what the Spirit does in these moments of unbelief is he leads us to confession and repentance. And this is what I want to talk about for the rest of the morning. And I want to provide uh, you a tool that I have found helpful in my own life when it comes to repentance. And this tool comes from uh, Jeff Vanderstelt's book called Gospel Fluency. And it's a great little book on how we preach the gospel to ourselves in the everyday stuff of life. This tool is an illustration of what the Spirit is trying to do in the life of the believer. And in it, uh, he gives examples of how through confession and repentance, we can change the fruit we see in our lives. Because the fact is, is, is that fruit is just that, right? Fruit is fruit. And 
apple doesn't grow by itself, but it's connected by a little, that little twig to the little stick, to the bigger branch, to the trunk, to the roots. It is connected to the whole rest of the tree. And an apple tree does not grow mushrooms, right? An apple tree does not grow mushrooms, and we shouldn't expect it to. Why? Because it's an apple tree, right? And, and in this apple tree is DNA all through the roots and the trunk and the branches that cause the, the tree to produce apples. And this is the same in our life. If we find fruit in our life that does not line up with the fruit of the Spirit, then we need to question, where is that fruit coming from? Fruit does not appear magically. Fruit does not appear by itself. What is it rooted in? What is the underlying system that is producing that specific fruit? Because all spiritual fruit, whether good or bad, is rooted in belief. It's rooted in belief. And what the Spirit helps us do is see where our fruit does not match up. And then it illuminates the belief that underlies that fruit. And so here is uh, an illustration from Gospel Fluency that has been really helpful for me. And I want to walk through this. I want to walk through this to see how we can practice better uh, the habit of grace that is confession and repentance. Uh, on the left side here, you'll, you'll see a tree with maybe some familiar fruit. I see some that uh, are bearing in my life as well. And uh, down the tree, we go through confession of sin and, and through repentance, we move over to the tree on the right. And out of the tree on the right, we see the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I want to walk through this uh, with you guys. And then I want to give us an example, a very poignant example this morning. How do we do this? How do we practice confession and repentance in our own lives? Let's work through this together. The first thing we do is we work on the left side. And on the left side, the very first thing we find is, is fruit, right? You're looking at the tree of your life, and in it you see fruit. And the first thing that I must do if I want to practice confession and repentance is I must name the fruit in my life. I must name my sin. Sin grows best in the dark, and when I'm oblivious to it, then I have no opportunity to overcome it. Name your sin. Know your sins. Write your sins down. Be aware of what you have a tendency to struggle with. And maybe give freedom to the people in your life to speak and call out sins in, in your own life. This is the first thing we do when we, when we confess sins. We name our sin, right? We name our sin. The second thing we do is that we need to understand what beliefs about God, myself, and others this sinful fruit is growing from. Fruit doesn't grow by itself. Fruit grows out of belief. And if right belief leads to right action, then wrong belief leads to wrong action. So what lies are you believing about God, yourself, or others that might produce a sinful fruit like this? When we understand the underlying beliefs, this is what the Spirit of Truth helps us do. And this, this is the act of confessing sin. Confessing sin is not telling God, you know, you know I'm sorry that I, I, I lost my, my temper there, right? I'm sorry that I looked lustfully on that woman. That is naming your sin, but we can't just stay there, right? If sin grows out of belief, confession of sin is looking at what is the underlying belief system that is producing that kind of fruit in my life. We name our sin. We confess our sin. 
by looking at the underlying belief. And then third, I move from a confession of sin to a confession of faith. We move from a confession of sin to a confession of faith where I preach truth to myself. Truth that is illuminated by the the Holy Spirit. Truth that is found in God's word. Truth that becomes the underlying system then that produces new fruit in my life. And then fourth, we see the ways that God uses these new beliefs, these reinforced truths in our life to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And and this is confession and repentance. This is the habit that we should be practicing daily. We're combating the lies that the world would have us believe with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's all done through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to I walk us through uh, maybe a specific example of this. So what does confession of sin and confession of faith look like? Let's, let's take anxiety as an example. Let's take an anxiety as an example. You see on the left side here, we have the fruit of anxiety uh, coming out in our life. Maybe you, you have noticed that you're struggling with anxiety. Life's become a little more difficult. You've noticed a tightness in your chest. You've got a worrisome nature. Um, stress-filled thoughts that come out of a racing mind. And maybe you've noticed this in yourself. You've, you've sat down, you've taken kind of a self-assessment, you've looked at your life and said, man, I'm noticing some stress, I'm noticing some worry, I'm noticing some anxiety in my life. Or maybe somebody's pointed this out to you. Somebody close to you has pointed this out to you. Whatever the case is, the fruit of anxiety is cropping up in your life and you name it. You see it, you name it. I am anxious. Now we know from Scripture that this is not a fruit of the Spirit. This is not the kind of life that God calls us to live. When we are anxious, we're not walking in the Spirit. Instead, we're gratifying the desires of the flesh. And so we name it and we move on to confession of sin. We see the fruit, we name it, and we move on to confession of sin, and we dig into our anxiousness. What belief underlies this anxiousness in your life? What lies are you believing about God, yourself, or others that cause you to be anxious? What is your anxiousness saying about who you are? This is what it says. It says, I'm not in control, but I believe that I need to be. What is your anxiousness saying about what God has done? Your anxiousness says, I believe that he stopped loving me and that he's not in control of what's going on right now. My anxiousness says that God has abandoned me. That's what God has done. What is your anxiousness saying about God? It's saying that he is unloving, that he is impotent, that he does not care. Do you see the the underlying beliefs as you dig into your anxiousness? this This is where your anxiousness is stemming from. Your beliefs about God yourself, and others. This is confession of sin. This is confession of our unbelief, but by the power of the Holy Spirit who shines the light of truth onto our beliefs, we don't have to stay there. Through repentance, we can change the way we believe. We can change the way that we think so that it lines up with truths from the Scripture. And so we move in repentance to a confession of faith. We move to a confession of faith And we tell ourselves truth about who God is, what he has done, and who we are because of that. 
this confession of faith with, with your anxiousness, it might look like this. Who is God? Who is God? Well, Scripture says that God is powerful, that he is in control, and that he is present in my life. What has God done? Jesus died for me. He rose again for me. And I am seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty through the person of Jesus Christ. And so who are you because of those truths? Right? I am loved. I am not alone. And I am more than a conqueror over this sin through Christ who has died for me. This is a confession of faith. This is truths and beliefs that are right and will lead to right action. Throughout this series, we have worked to define the habits of grace as God-ordained channels of his transforming power into our lives to grow our character into the likeness of Christ. And what I've ho- I hope we've seen this morning is that the Spirit is the one who is digging these channels in our life, who is carrying that lantern into the dark parts of our heart, and he is shining a light until all of it comes under the lordship of Jesus Christ. The Spirit works to convict and convince the world of the truth of Jesus through us. The Spirit works to change the believer by changing his beliefs. And he does all of this by confronting us with truth and leading us through confession and repentance so that we may be made into the likeness of Jesus this himself. Because the truth is, we can all try We can all try to produce right fruit in our lives. But fruit grows from belief and no other way. And so the question that we have this morning is, are we believing correctly? And are we working to name and confess our sins so that we might confess faith and see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives?